hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Well, hi everybody and welcome back to another fabulous Places Will Go show. Today, we have Chris Duncan, CEO of Bauer Media with us. Welcome, Chris. Good morning, good morning. Fabulous to have you on. So nearly three years in the role, uh, pretty much all of it through COVID. Uh, of course, Bauer Media, a massively successful media business. Uh, in fact, UK's number one magazine publisher. And what you can't see if you are listening in is behind Chris is a cascade of some of the bestsellers that Bauer have produced, which is a, is a lovely backdrop. Yeah, so Chris joined Bauer just after lockdown. Very challenging. Uh, prior to that, he spent... I think over 12 years at News UK in a variety of MD and Chief Commercial, Chief Customer Officer roles. In fact, he's held a pretty wide range of commercial and general management roles. Um, Chris is also a Marketing Academy Fellow from 2017. Uh, So we've had a number of fellows on, uh, so we might touch on that. And um, when we asked Chris to come on the show, he said, I'm not sure if my life's interesting enough. And I sort of nearly fell off my chair because I remember well some of these very nice parties that uh, Chris had, had uh, set up at Cannes. Uh, and I remember being about, I don't know, three feet from Ed Sheeran and Fatboy Slim at, at one in particular. So I think you know how to enjoy yourself, Chris, at the very least. That's and as I, as I look at you now, you have that glint in your eye. It's slightly mischievous, um, but incredibly generous of spirit. So lovely to have you on the show, Chris. Thank you very much. Oh, Chris, it really is an absolute pleasure and gift that you'd spend some time with us here this morning. Uh, and I'm looking, I'm going to kick off. I mean, you are a publishing man. I mean, you know, the, the accolades in this industry go on and on. Um, and I just love to get a sense of, you know, the road into publishing. How did it happen? What, what was that all about? Mm. Uh, as, as I think I was saying to Mark, most, most of it, complete accident, um, happy accidents on the way. So I, I started out, I went traveling after I'd, I'd been at university, I ended up in Australia stumbled into a job uh, with American Express, working in a, in a call center uh, in the middle of Sydney, basically having a ball in Sydney while kind of trying to earn some money to pay for it. Um, ended up, did, I did a, a campaign out in Australia launching uh, the blue credit card uh, to the partners of gold card holders. And um, it was a great campaign. The only problem with it was they, they sent it out to all of the uh, spouses and partners of the gold card holders and said they were pre-approved, they'd definitely get a blue credit card. Uh, and someone had forgotten that in Australia, you have to have a credit points rating. Um, and very few of the people they told they were pre-approved did. So my job was basically phoning people and saying they had to take their passports into their local Amex office, uh, which is a great induction into marketing planning. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so we did. I did that for it. And then when I, when I came back to the UK, kind of broken went back to my mom and apologized for not having really been in touch for a, a year or so. Um, the, the went to the local job center and they gave me a job in a, in a startup down the road. Um, cause I'd said, obviously by then I was a marketer, I was a customer service specialist and marketer. 
uh, and ended up in this uh, startup agency that was building, um, thinking back, it was amazing. It's, it's, a, it's a guy called Francis Wallinger who decided he was going to build his own database system um, and put it in a browser uh, so people could access uh, browser-based campaigns. This is 97, so this is, uh, this is kind of right at the kind of start of the commercial internet, which shows you how long I've been in publishing. Uh, in fact, my my very first job there, I, I project managed the build of a national database for uh, a company that later became Axiom as an agency sort of partner. And my job was to take the specifications off the fax machine and photocopy them onto actual paper so that we could build this database um, and then put it on a browser for the first time. So that that was my kind of entry into into what later on you would call sort of CRM and um, big data but that was that was that was how I got into it and then so so literally by getting a job down the road uh and then ended up uh, for various reasons because the founders wanted a more lavish lifestyle uh running that business and then you're kind of off and running off and away mm. bit of hustle in there you were a hustler <laughs> no I'll tell you what at the time actually I was um I, I was actually the, the the sort of person who did all the work and uh Francis <laughs> Francis did all the hustling uh, he was a brilliant hustler. Uh, so he was, he was kind of my first, um, first person I worked for who, who you were just like, wow, this guy, you know, he, he is literally selling um, a product that no one's ever seen before. Um, and, and almost in the sales pitch was saying, you're all familiar with Oracle, the database. Well, this is something much better. Um, so I, I just, I, I learned an awful lot from him just in terms of sheer, uh, sheer uh, confidence to say that we're going to basically make a market here. Um, and as a startup, it went from, so I think I was number 13 in the door uh, at various points, it got up to sort of 80, 100 people. It was fantastic, uh, really exciting as a sort of 20-odd-year-old. Um, but I was actually more the person that kind of went, what exactly have you sold and have we got that? Uh, uh. <laughs> so, so actually the voice of reason, but I'm sure there's a bit of hustling in there. And, you know, so you started on the entrepreneur side. Mm. And... and- I guess that's you've you've tried to pull that through into the corporate world. So how how how's that blend the entrepreneurship with the corporate world for you? I, th- I think um, actually it's an interesting question. I think I, I think I'd probably jump between the two, um, and I think wherever I've been, we've tended tended to work in jobs where there are people who have very good, work with people who set very big ambitions, and I'm always kind of drawn to this sort of can we make a market? Can we launch something that no one's ever done? Can we kind of transform something that? Uh, you know, it is is needs needs an awful kind of lot of work uh, to 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 turn into something uh, future facing. But then I guess part of uh, my role in most of those teams has been to sort of say, okay, I, I like the big vision, but actually, what do we need to do in terms of what capabilities do we need to build? You know, what actually does this mean in terms of the, what are the big transformations that we're talking about? Because quite often, um, what people say the big challenge is is buried within that there's a much bigger cultural challenge that needs to be kind of brought along with it and again as an example the times um moving to subscriptions everybody said well that's getting people to pay is a big challenge but actually one of the big challenges within the business for that was turning from being a broadcast product manufacturing organization to being a service-based customer and product you know digital product uh, organization so that that was actually what you spent a lot of your time kind of thinking about and trying to make happen so that's that's probably what i've done i mean you say publishing for now 25 years or something but 
actually, if you look at my career, it's about five or six or seven like big hairy challenges that I've really enjoyed doing for three years or so until the next one's popped up and I've done that instead. Well, what a wonderful way to actually uh, encapsulate what a career is all about, the five to seven to eight, whatever mm. it is, hairy big challenges that we all embark on and then jump from one to the next. It really is, isn't it? I mean, it is really about about how that works. Um, look, I mean, you know, the Bauer Media Group uh, is is a phenomenal organization that has, you know, stems from TV, radio, into mm. the publishing world that where you sit. Um, is it as, as glamorous on, as, as it seems on the outside, on the inside? Always. always. <laughs> the, um, it's an interesting company, Bauer, because it's, um, it's a fifth generation uh, sort of German family business, um, traditionally very private. Just so people know the brands. Um, people won't necessarily know Bauer uh, as, a, as a media group. It's um, because, you know, you, the radio stations will, will be the brand names that you'll know, the magazines that, you know, everybody will know, um, uh, you know, TV choice or so just under a million a week and has an incredibly kind of loyal uh, readership. You'll have the, the, the Grazias, the Take Breaks, you know, yours, Bellas. So 60-something magazines, uh, MCN, which if you're a motorcycle fan, is, you know, the absolute bible of motorcycling. And, and what I think fascinated me when... Um, so I, uh, when I came over to the company was every single kind of one of them has a, has a very clear idea of the audience that it's serving, uh, you know, the, the reason, but why it's the Bible of that particular uh, sort of passion, why it talks to its audience in the way that it does. And it just appealed to me, I think, as a, as a kind of a, a, I suppose, a long-term targeting fan. Uh, I, I remember sitting down when I first joined and I did these sort of awkward intros uh, on, on video with all the editors talking to the gardening team and I was slightly kind of I went into it thinking I'm, I don't really know why we've got four I'm not a gardener so you know I'm not really sure we've got four gardening titles and in 10 minutes they explained to me well you know th this this title is basically for gardeners who uh really love plants and they want to understand the genius of plants this one is for people who want to solve problems um in the garden so they want practical advice this one is actually for urban gardeners who really wouldn't think of themselves as gardeners but they're building it so you can explain exactly and this one actually is really sort of a half gardening half cooking uh, you know, half lifestyle magazine. Suddenly, you understand these are four different markets um, that that we're in, and there's a really clear reason why. Um, so, you asked me a question to start that glamour. I've gone into you know, but the, for me, the, the the fascination in the business is that the glamour is really in the ability to absolutely uh, correspond and understand sixty five different audience groups, um, and to create a business that sort of creates brilliant products for those people. Very interesting. Richie, I think, you know, you, you publish a lot in the world about, um, you know, uh, the, the bothism and distinctiveness and differentiation mm -hmm. and mass mass reach and all that. And, and I think it's just occurred to me, you've got an amazing portfolio of brands mm. and, and maybe a portfolio of brands is part of the answer about how do you target your whole, your whole universe of mm. that particular market, mm. um, but, but in a targeted way and, mm. and Byron Sharp and, Mark Ritson haven't really sort of used the thought of a brand portfolio about how do you how no. do you achieve bothism. Um, fasc fascinating, but I'm going to go all the way back. So you, you just threw in there, went to Australia at a party, mm. uh, maybe didn't contact your mum enough. Sorry, no. But um, what 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 were the dots that led to you jetting off to Australia for a year? 
I mean, actually, originally, uh, so so I wanted to go travelling after I'd uh, done uh, a degree, uh, and I want I, because I thought if I didn't go then, I'd never go. If I started work, I thought I'd, I'd never go, and I wanted to go see the world. I had a slight sort of romantic vision. I, I went to Hong Kong first, so I, I flew into Hong Kong, nineteen ninety seven. This is before uh, it was returned to China. That's sort of the last year, uh, and I wanted to see that. Um, and I sort of thought I was going to become, um, I wanted to work for Jardines. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jardines. Jardines was like a big commodity trader, um, but I thought it was tremendously glamorous. Uh, so I thought, I mean, my original plan was I'd fly to Hong Kong, I'd sort of bump into someone who'd give me a job at Jardines, and I'd become like an international commodities trader. Um, as it was, I turned up in Hong Kong. I had an absolute ball for about a week, spent half my money, uh, and got a job as a barman in an Irish bar. So it never it never quite came off the way I planned it, um, but but you know I was twenty one it was great, <laughs> and I could still if if wherever if if ever the need comes up I can still do a damn good shamrock in the top of a pint of Guinness. Yeah, uh-huh. awesome. how awesome is that? Like um, it 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 seems like there is a real sense of um, this combination of sheer ambition mixed in with. Uh, you know, a, a certain sense of enjoyment, a relaxation, a need to kind of actually enjoy the fruits of your labor in, in many respects. Would you say that's a, a fair summation? I mean, clearly with your Irish bars and and <laughs> uh, and, and hobnobbing with the stars, um, it feels uh, feels appropriate. I, I think, I, I hope people would say, the people that worked me over the years, I, I think it's got to be fun. Um, and I think, you know, the, the best teams I've been in have been the teams that I think have found quite often the situations we've turned up in you know there's always there's always fun to be had in it and I think I, I like to work you know I work very hard um, and if I could give anybody any career advice I guess he's, he's listening to this the, the one thing that consistently I've done is ended up in jobs and worked my ass off um, you know at the job I was in but I also think you know life is too short to do that without uh, finding finding some joy in it well, I mean, life is there to be lived, mm-hmm. isn't it? And, uh, you know, you get out what you put in and all those maxims. Uh, and so you've had some pretty good moments. What, what, have, been, what have been some of the, the real genuine highs where, you know, it's been a lot of fun? Mm. Uh, I think, um, so I was just thinking about this, coming up to doing this. The, the, one of the bits that I, I genuinely just, I think, is, is a, just a career kind of privilege is when, when we did the Times Paywall, there was a moment late at night, it would have been June 30th, because we said we'd do it by July 1. So it would have been June 30th at 10 to midnight normally. Um, there was sort of a, I just remember a big board table. It was the big sort of News UK board table. Could seat like 300 people around this table. And uh, there were all the different sort of product teams, tech teams, customer service teams. And you had to do this to sort of well, like very mission control where you went around the table and said, are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. And then, then by the time it got back to me, I, I was actually the one at the time that said, okay, push the button, push the button. And actually what we were doing at that point was we resigned 18 million customers mm-hmm. uh, because we closed off the free version of the site. And I remember saying to the people on the table, okay, how many subscribers have we got now? And it came back, resent none. <laughs> 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 that, that was an absolute, I mean, that was a brilliant moment. Going back to the days of doing the agency side, um, there, was a, there was a period in that where we lost, I mean, actually on my first day as um, MD, they made me MD and then uh, in the same week, the largest client resigned, which was 60 something percent of revenue, 65% of revenue. Um, 
which is quite a baptism to sort of turn back up and say, well, hey, okay. So we had a year to, to basically sell um, as many new business contracts as we could to fill the gap uh, to kind of keep the company going. And uh, so I remember closing and that deal with Nikon, uh, which was a Europe, the first European deal they'd done. And it, it basically meant that you, could, you you effectively could keep the people and save the company. And uh, that, that that phone call where you get, I mean, it's one of the things I do miss actually from the agency side, is that phone call that you get that says you've won uh, new business. They're, they're pretty sweet moments. So I think, I think being able to kind of say, okay, not just that we won the contract, but actually that's secured uh, quite a lot of futures in the business. I'd remember that probably as a big highlight. Yeah, I, I can totally imagine having been agency said myself. You never quite, never quite get that feeling when you, you know, as as it is when someone does say say those magic words to you, you know, no. and especially when it's as meaningful as what you've described. Um, but Chris, I'm going to join a few dots here because um, enjoyment of life, um, but the best career advice being hard work, and actually in between those two sort of perhaps polars mm. polar ends. You said something else, which was when I ended up in a job, mm. dot, 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 work the hardest that I ever had and could. But actually, ending up in a job is not necessarily an easy endeavor in today's environment. And I wonder what role had the first bit, perhaps the way that you were able to navigate your way through some of those, whether it be professional or social mm. circles, perhaps helped you into getting into those ending up in a job, dot, 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 where you then obviously worked your ass off. Um. It's a good question. I, I suppose when I think about, so I think always think about like I, when to move and when I've moved. Um, and quite often people, you know, people people ask you for career advice, and you sort of think I'm not really qualified to give it to you. I, I've always thought that you were in, you were doing something, something else arrived, and there were two choices. Then there's a fork in the road, and you know, as as that choice comes in, you effectively weigh up: Do I want to have I finished what I'm doing? Um, and I probably am a, I'm, you, you've noticed I've stayed quite a long time in places because I find things to do. As soon as I get to the end of that sort of three year, two, normally at the end of a cycle of doing something decent, unless I can find the next challenge, then, you know, something that comes along is more interesting. Um, I can't say I've ever been a planner for a, for a career wise. If you said to me, what am I going to be doing in, you know, 10 years? I've no idea. But I, ju I just genuinely believe that, that, uh, you're either captivated by the thing that you're doing now or other opportunities will arrive. And I'm sure that's not very helpful for everybody listening who wants a sort of secret to, to, to a squiggly career. But I think a lot of it is that. But also I've tried, I think over the years to just, I think if you're doing your job brilliantly, and if you can explain what you're doing in your job from the, uh, the point of view of the people you're working for, um, so always, I'm always trying to think about how, how do you kind of put yourself in the context of the people that you're working for, who generally have a broader vision than, than you will in your role. Um, that also gives you the best chance, I think, of being identified as someone who might be able to do the next thing. Yeah. So there's an element of instinct, mm. but of course you get to key pivot points in your life and mm. career. So what are some of the very biggest decisions that you've made along the way? Um, I mean, with the with the agency, uh, it's quite a, it's quite an amusing story. We, we basically decided to sell it, um, and I so I, I wasn't a founder. There were two founders, uh, and I was the um, uh, the MD at the time. Decided to sell the company, uh, had found a sale for it, which would have at the time 
made me quite rich um, and then went out to Germany to, uh, to do the deal. And the founders found that it was such a good conversation that they changed the price uh, that they wanted for the company in, in the room at the time. And so that was that was like a minute in my career where I went from, you know, being very well rewarded for this deal being closed to it disappearing. Um, and and that was so that was the, the, the big decision there was I resigned, I think, from from that company just as my wife was about to have our first child, which I remember the conversation with my mom at the time, which was, are you mental? What are you, <laughs> why would you why would you do this? Uh, but I just knew that, you know, my, my kind of. Uh, I, I'd, I'd lost, I think, um, I'd lost, I'd lost the the, uh, the the faith. So it was, it was time to move on. Um, so that was a big moment. I think um, probably then, actually, the, the one, the one area where I think I was a bit more planned. Uh, I, I had decided I'd done agency to some extent, so I wanted to go client side um, because I'd, I'd worked in agency for a long time, and I'd always had that sense that you know if you've worked you know you you finish your pitch you do your work you hand over something and then the doors close and I wanted to know what the conversation was the other side of the door um and I wanted to see more of the results and I wanted to be more involved in the kind of long-term growth of the the businesses rather than just the the consulting side so I I kind of set my cap at how could I how could I get client side and luckily at the time uh Caroline Warboys who used to run um a company called Broad Systems I've worked with had worked with news and so introduced me to say, well, you, you know, you might go and do that. And the decision I took then was that I, I would go in, I think I went in as director of customer data. I wasn't sure I really wanted to be in a customer data guy for the rest of my life, but it was the stepping stone that kind of got me into client side. So that, that was probably, you know, a, a big moment for me because then the next sort of 12, 13 years at news, I got to do so many things, you know, that were different from that because I'd kind of got myself in the, in the door. You know, those two stories are so resonating with me. I mean, on, on the one hand, you know, the thought of how a minute can change your life, um, mm. one which way or the other, and, and in a totally pre-planned, probably very impromptu moment by the founders to then turn the whole thing around, which I'm sure none of you had discussed when you, before you walked into that, that meeting room. Definitely. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's just like it's, but it not it so symptomatic of how life goes sometimes where, you know, you feel like you're walking into one situation and then mm. you're totally within minutes, it can just flip on its absolute head. Um, mm. But then, you know, the, the thought that then you could then, as part of the second piece to your story around, you know, getting back on, taking the, the next leap in, and then mm. being able to then do what you've done, particularly in, in News UK, what a phenomenal role to then achieve and then go on to what you do today. I mean, it's, so I guess the, the yin and yang of this whole situation means it does sort of work out in the macro. Yeah. But I would love to know, what was the flight like back from Germany to the UK with those founders? I'll tell you what, it was it was it was on a train. Uh, it was a smoking train. I, I remember. I, I think I smoked. You know, I hope my kids don't listen to this. Uh, I, I smoked like forty camel on the way home. You know, in a kind of fury of uh, that, and the, uh, they were very clear that it, it was a negotiating masterstroke. And I knew. I just knew because I could. I knew the guys, the German um, counterparts, and I was like, they, they will. This is done. It's over um so yeah it was it was it's a long train journey <laughs> can i can i just ask then the lesson and this i think is quite quite pertinent is the lesson because because i think we're fed mm. institutionally to go for the big leap to jump mm. for the big vision to stretch mm. as far as you can stretch but in this example had we just stayed humble perhaps had we just stayed on the course good things would have happened maybe not 
you know, to a masterstroke level, but great things would have happened nevertheless. So what philosophy do you now subscribe to on the basis that you've had that experience? I mean, honestly, the biggest lesson I took from it, which is a bit more prosaic, was um, negotiations are actually mostly three-way. Um, you're, you're almost always negotiating with, the, the bigger the deals, the more you're negotiating with um, the, the external party, but also your own people. Um, and there are many, many, uh, you know, in big organizations, normally many people involved in that. Um, and you have to make sure you've covered both sides. I mean, to be honest, I look back on that and say, it is my fault because um, I didn't cover my own side. Mm. Um, I, I should, I, you know, should never have been in the room and been surprised by that. So, you know, lesson learned. It's one of the more expensive lessons, but lesson learned. Um, well, no, well, yeah. you, well, your loss, Chris, is, is our yeah. game. <laughs> publishing's game. So yeah. You've completed the circle on that one. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> um, now then, um, uh, you, you mentioned like the, the first job when you came back was in the world of, of, of data and analytics. Mm. Uh, I, I know that's a big thing for Bauer, clearly. Mm. Um, so, so I sp- how has the role of actually how has the role of analytics evolved, even in the last three years, but through the course of your career as well? Um, now it's you know it's the it's the cool thing, but you were yeah. ahead of the curve there. So tell us. About oh man, that. I was thinking about this. Um, so, so I joined effectively what was then kind of referred to as DM. Uh, I mean, I did a I did a diploma, I think a sort of graduate diploma at the the Institute of Direct Marketing in Teddington. Uh, where they one of the one of the bits of the course was about literally lithograph printing, um, and at the end that you could do a, like an hour at the end about um, email marketing and the emergence of the internet. And at the time, the, the DM guys as we would refer to ourselves, we were like uh, we were almost like a kind of renegade. You know, we we know that we're doing something that is really interesting, and we, we're using all this data, and we're we're kind of practically inventing kind of targeting and. Um, the sort of science side of, of marketing, but we, we would go to, um, uh, you know, any any of the sort of trade or marketing events and be sort of sniffed at broadly by the brand guys and the, the glamour uh, of the industry. So I, I was always, I suppose, I was, I was really fascinated by it. I mean, I remember uh, spending many late nights kind of uh, writing code and running campaigns and trying to work out how you could cut the, the sort of this, databases in different ways back then we were doing kind of predictive modeling um on you know huge amounts of data and this is this is 1997 so what's what's sort of interesting to me is that you know however long that is 25 years later very little really of the broad practice has has changed that much the the tools have changed you know the kind of the 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 speed of it has changed jesus the computing power has has changed because we built a lot of that was built on 18 gig servers. Um, you know, you've got more, you've got a phone that can do five times that. Um, you know, that we ran a business on a, on something that now probably is your watch. Um, so all of that's changed. But actually the practice of um, you know, how you think about targeting, how you think about uh, measurement, performance management, you know, the optimization, all the stuff that definitely, Mark, you've done, you know, brilliantly uh, uh, in so many different places really that's pretty much the same um what has happened definitely is the kudos and the recognition that that is uh, you know a, a massive part of any kind of marketer's toolkit has changed enormously over that time quite quite incredible there um chris i'm going to turn the corner for a second and perhaps even put you on the spot hmm. but hey that's the nature of these things 
So uh, you've, you've obviously, you know, you've worked in an industry where you get to meet a whole load of cool people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, that could be, you know, that the, 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 the definition of cool is up to you. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to, to ask, who would you say is the, the coolest person that you've met? Um, what did you learn from them? And um, perhaps my part B is if there's somebody you would still like to meet, who could that possibly be? So that's a that's a very good. You know, the first person that's coming to my head is Stevie Wonder. Um, I As in, you've met? Yeah, yeah. I met, well, I got taken to uh, went to a Salesforce conference uh, with Paul Cheeseborough from News, and uh, there was a bit where we, you know, we were in the fancy kind of fancy lanyard bit of the Salesforce conference, and at one point, the really fancy lanyards got to go and meet Bill Clinton, uh, and the other option was to meet Stevie Wonder. Cheeseborough went off to meet Clinton, and I, I got to meet Stevie Wonder. Which is a very strange experience because they kind of take you downstairs and shuffle you through, and he's sort of standing there. He's huge. He's about six four, um, which for some reason, because you only ever see him sitting down, you don't expect. Um, yeah, so that was that's pretty cool. Um, very cool. In terms of, I mean, God, honestly, I have I have one of the privileges I think of, of this kind of career is, as Mark said, we 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 end up a, a lot of uh, different do's. We end up uh, at some point with the times we be running kind of Sportswoman of the Year, um, but you'd also be able to go and see, uh, you know, book launches. You know, with 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 Bauer, you know, I was at, I've spent the last few weeks at I was at the Mother and Baby Awards, uh, meeting loads of different product founders, people who'd invented, you know, literally invented products, small businesses. But the week before, I was at the TV Choice Awards. Um, I met John Craven. I mean, for, for me, these are kind of you know. Uh, John Craven and Joey Essex in the same room, you get to do that kind of thing. Um, at, at the same time, from a business perspective, you meet all of these different people who've launched businesses, have started up businesses, you know, through, through News Corp, you met all these all these characters, great editors. Um, I mean, I've met so many brilliant journalists, fearless journalists, um, the war correspondents. I mean, I could go on, I mean, literally go on and on and on. Um I'm sure very, very few of those over the years. Oh, yeah, I met Chris Duncan. Uh, there like, was a guy at the back who's <laughs> doing something. Um, so I, I just think it, it's a it's a privilege, particularly also if you're if, if you're happy to, you know, go and make sure you, you you turn up at all those things and, you know, be curious and and try and meet as many people as you can and, you know, listen to all those different stories. Because I think that probably if you're working for publishing brands, you know, the more you can get out and meet the communities uh, and the sort of stars of the show, uh, the better I think you understand why your audience is interested. If I just may just jump in for one more second, um, a quick follow-on would be, is there any advice you have on um, other people who are not necessarily in your position, of course, or even in your industry, um, any secret source around how do you get exposure or meet different types of people that mm. other people may want to in their, you know, in, in the wider the wider ecosystem or networks? I, I mean, I think go. I mean, it's a simple, it's a simple piece of advice, but there, there is generally in in most organisations, in in most, you know, there are trade bodies, there are um, uh, you know, there there are so many different places that if you want to meet people, you can. Um, I think um, you know, it, it just go. You you will always meet in any given evening, and and, and I, I attend many of them. Uh, in any given evening, you will meet probably two people that you just think afterwards. There's no there's no logical reason why we would have met um and and we've just happened to bump into each other but it was really interesting to me i've learned something um i, I, I complete aside I, I was at the national rail awards 
uh, talking to uh, Peter Hendy, who runs Network Rail, um, who who obviously was was at that event, and he was telling me that the um, uh, about all the plans that they had had for uh, the Queen's funeral, um, and so many of them were changed. But it was just it's just a sort of insight into the fact that for many many years all of these things have been rehearsed within the rail industry. Now, I, I would I had no reason to go and have that conversation. But it sort of enriches, uh, you know, my understanding of the world. Um, so, go is my first piece of advice, and find ways to to meet other people because that builds a network, and you then tend to get invited to the next thing, which will help you to the next thing, and eventually you you stood next to Stevie Wonder, but you, you couldn't have planned it. Um, it planned it's about it. just going, and, and also don't underestimate. Um, I, I was I always remember I did the Times CEO Summit, um, and. There was a brilliant moment about 10, 15, they'd done the morning session and it was time for coffee. And this room is filled with, you know, the Martin Sorrells and, uh, you know, the the John Neal and uh, Stuart Rose and all these, you know, real people that you think these are real titans of of, of the world. And there was, you could just tell looking around the room that nobody really wanted to go and talk. To, you know, there was the, that moment of awkwardness and you just think there isn't a human on the planet who really relishes walking into a room of 200 people they don't know. So just accept that. Find the first person you can talk to. Best Actually, the best piece of advice I have been given, somebody said, um, when you walk into a room full of, uh, full of those kind of people, if you're not a natural networker, always look for uh, two people and go and join a group of two people because creating a third is always easier for the two. So two people always want a third. Don't target the people on their own because it's actually awkward for both of you. Um, and a group bigger than two is hard to get into. And so there's a, there's a, it works actually. It's quite interesting. It just creates a different, um, uh, the three people then creates a different dynamic. Nice tip. It's the opposite of two's company, three's a crown, in fact. Yes. So I love that. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, but hearing you talk, Chris, you know, there's, there's serendipity, there's curiosity. I, I know you are a very, very good networker. But isn't it interesting that the, the, the battle of networking is like the battle of being a brand? Sometimes mm. half the battle is just showing up. So go. Yeah. Very good. Love that. Now, um, you as a leader, so you've, you've invested in your development along the way. Uh, you talked about I, I, that hour where I was doing the thing that nobody else was interested in. Mm. And, mm. and of course, you've done a fellowship. So how, how have you invested in your leadership and development through the years? What And how does that flow through into advice you give to others? Um. So, so I have been like actually to, to have been invested in. I, you know, I've had I've had quite a few coaches over the years, um, which, which is always you know different coaches bring a lot of different things for you. Um, the fellowship actually was a, was a great thing for me because it was I'd reached a point in news where I didn't have many many peers who were doing the same role. Um, there were a few in different countries, but there, there weren't people who were kind of reaching that point of I'm sort of transitioning at this point from functional leadership to general management and I, and I need some help about you know how to do that um and also probably getting to that point where you sort of need to sit back and think right I've got here what do I what do I, the next bit is not so obvious you know climbing through the gears of of the marketing department or you know move, that that sometimes is quite straightforward um the bit where you sort of think okay do I want to stay as this this is another fork for me which was do I want to kind of stay in the customer side of the business do I want to go and be general management, which means I probably have to give up being really close to this side of the business, but then I get to end up here, or do I want to kind of um, to stick with it? And um, the fellowship at the time was brilliant at, at meeting a group of people almost who were all at the same point in their careers, 
Um, and to be able to just sort of work out in those conversations, you know, the, the training is brilliant on the fellowship, but what's actually brilliant is it gets you a whole new cohort of people who are at a similar kind of uh, career path to you, um, which is a great mirror to be able to hold up against yourself. Um, I think the, the, the other part for me, it, I, I mean, I, I do kind of, I, I read quite a lot um, of different things that occur to me that you kind of, you know, books that you just think, oh, actually, I should read that. That's, that's going to tell me something. Um, I, I used, I used to use until recent weeks, uh, I used Twitter quite a lot just for finding just things that kind of, you think actually that's, that's, that's the sort of leadership thing I wouldn't have thought about. Um, you know, watching different leaders, how they manage, um, how they talk about the companies they're in. I think of the things they make important is also, I, I try and sort of hoover that up as much as I can. Why has, has, has something happened to Twitter in the last couple of weeks? Did I miss? Did I miss the memo? <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I um I I, I am I am deeply uh, honoured to have been given many years ago because the Times uh, could kind of get you the blue tick. Yeah. So I'm waiting for. I haven't had the call yet to say are you going to pay me for it, but um, I, I don't. Mm. I don't be doing that. So that was a, a tiny bit flippant of me. Some really valuable lessons around leadership and development. But I, I, mm. I couldn't resist. Mm. It, how do you say valuable lessons about leadership? Like, don't turn your company into a bin fire. Well, yes, <laughs> indeed. Uh -oh. <laughs> oh, hey guys, I better turn this, uh, this conversation swiftly, or swiftly around. Who knows who's listening and all the rest yeah. of it. Anyhow, I, I actually want to ask, you picked up on the role of books and learning that's played in, in your role mm. um, as a leader and honing in your style. Just wondered if you have any favorite book, perhaps, that has really helped you along the way, um, that, that's kind of given you, given you a bit of something extra that you could recommend. That's interesting. Uh, I, I feel, obviously, you think about these things coming up, uh, and I think, well, why actually, they're going to ask me questions like this. Maybe it's a personality type of mine. It, it, whenever I'm asked to pick a uh, favorite song, favorite book, you know, favorite mentor in your career, I can always think of sort of 10 or 15. There's, there's, there's always something about like, I, I've t I'm probably a bit of a magpie and I take small bits from different, you know, different things. And I rarely kind of say there's one that's that's my absolute, the, the music one is, is the best example. You say, what's your favorite song? You say, well, what am I doing? What am I, you know, what, why, why? So, um, so I think in terms of favorite books, um, the one I, I quite often go back and read a little bit of is there's there's, there's a book called um, by uh, Viscount General Slim. Um, I can't fucking remember the, the name of it, but but it's about he he's in Burma at the time in the Second World War, um, and he lays out the, the 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 army that he's leading are getting a hounding, and he basically takes them off into the jungle, um, and decides that he has to train them because if they don't retrain them, they're going to lose. And he lays out in it, there's, there's a couple of pages in it where he basically lays out the, um, the, the, the conditions for victory. And he effectively says that what, what, what his team needs is, is a noble purpose um, in that there needs to be a, a purpose that is bigger than them that brings them together. They need to understand that there is a, a plan and that they have the tools for the job. And so there needs to be a kind of clear definition of how they're going to go back into, into battle. And they need to believe that their leaders care um, at the outcome for them in the battle. And there's, so there's a couple of pages in this book. I think it's called In Search of Victory. Um, and, and, and that to me is just it's just a very neat kind of encapsulation of what people need to, to go through tough times. And you know, over the last couple of years, I've, I've read those pages quite a few times. 
Yeah, uh, we, we've um, we've not even talked about the last couple of years and the resilience that you mm. and many have had to have. But that's a good that's a good recommend. And it maybe penultimate question because of time is racing on. But in terms of purpose, have you are you one of those that's really tightly defined your personal purpose, or it's a, a broad thought, or it's not something that you consider too often? What what is purpose to Chris Duncan? <laughs> uh, I would say I'm I'm definitely in the category of I'm not I. I it's not something uh, from a personal perspective that I that I think about a great deal. I don't know. It's I don't, I don't know. Um, it, it, at risk of sounding overly modest, it would it would seem terribly selfish to sit down and say, "Was my purpose?" I tend to be doing. You know, I've got other things to do. Um, that's probably a terrible answer, but it, okay. it's just not something I spend a lot of time thinking about. Yeah, fa- fascinating. Um, so, in which case, let me see if if this one would resonate a bit more. Um, as the last question of the episode, um, so you've obviously been at both ends of the corporate spectrum, agency, startup, mm-hmm. small teams versus the big mammoth organizations as well. Mm-hmm. So do you actually, do you believe that David can believe, can beat Goliath at the end of the day? Yeah. I, I, I honestly believe that most great things in most organizations are achieved by teams of probably no more than seven people. Um, now, whether they're virtual teams, because there's a kind of in big companies, you tend to get these kind of virtual alliances where, you know, a, a group of managers across the business decide that they're going to do something great um, in, in small companies. I mean, if you're a startup of seven people, you're all in it, right? You're well in it. Um, the the commitment in startups is is a bit more elastic. You can stretch that to maybe a team of 13, 15, 20. Um, but great things are, are achieved by a, a a collection of people in time who have both the ambition and the commitment to achieve it. And that's true whether you're in small companies, big companies, medium-sized companies. And you, you look back, I think, across, certainly across my career, you can see these moments when kind of a group of people, you know, arrive, it's like a Marvel movie, arrive and kind of decide that they are going to commit to do something for a couple of years and then generally disband and, you know, move on and different teams form. But I think that's probably the common theme for me across, you know, small, medium or big places I've worked. Mm. Strong end, fascinating insights. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I'm going to do a quick recap of the key takeouts for everybody listening. Uh, we, we started with this tremendous sense of adventure. You, you use the words make a market. Uh, and it's very clear that you love a challenge, big, hairy challenges. Mm. Uh, and so that, that sense of adventure goes all the way through. Um, interesting interest, uh, look at portfolio brands and the role that plays at Bauer. Um, and, and then back to, again, the enjoyment, the theme of enjoyment that kept coming through. But you've worked your ass off. Let's not be mistaken about the fact it's not all party. There's mm. work that underpins everything. Um, you, you've we didn't get into COVID, but I, you've demonstrated resilience, not least in resigning 18 million subscribers at one point in time and keeping everybody's confidence and faith, I would imagine, in that moment. Um, also talked a lot about instinct. You said about three times, I just knew. Hmm. I've realized that, but I did in that clearly you do have a strong uh, compass and guidance on, on key decisions. Um, you stayed ahead of the game back. You were ahead of the game back in the day, looking at predictive modeling in 1997. My God, didn't even know it existed. There we go. But that probably links to the fact, that, again, very that curiosity, um, which has got you some, some really interesting places. But underneath that, you've got to show up. If you don't show up, then it doesn't happen. Uh, but I think the main, the main thing for me is that you've 
had a lived life. <laughs> and long may that continue and all power to you. So brilliant to have you on the show, Chris. Absolute pleasure. That's why I'm better on podcast than if you actually see me in real life, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying nothing. It's been an absolute pleasure, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much.